This time on No, Not the Mind Probe, episode two, the theme is Goodbye, Earth. John, I just started this podcast with, with this man. I didn't even think about it. I don't even know who you are. You're a complete stranger. But we've already established that we know each other for decades. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of continuity problems with this podcast. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, sloppy, <laughs> a sloppy writing job, especially in the same episode. <laughs> Welcome to No, Not the Mind Probe, a podcast where no. we watch. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, I liked it. Um, uh, it's like I ran into the Mind Probe and I haven't seen it for a while. No, no not no. the Mind Probe. Oh, where have you been? Uh, a podcast where we watch and rank every single Doctor Who story ever. My name is John Grant and I am a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I've been watching it for 35 years. And my name is Porter Mason, and John's been asking me to watch Doctor Who for 25 years, and I finally said yes. I, I said yes. And the funny each part is we've only known each other for 15 years, uh, yeah, but I that's, just was randomly weird, emailing you. <laughs> there's something's off there. We're going to have to check that. We'll, we'll check back on that in a future episode. Uh, each week, we look at two stories. We're going to each episode, rather. They're not necessarily every week. Who knows how often they are? We're uh, we're going through the new series of Doctor Who in order, and our Doctor Who curator, sommelier, John Grant, will find a pairing of that new episode with a classic story. John, what do we have this week? This week, we're on the second episode of the Revived series, The End of the World, and we have paired it in sort of a goodbye-to-Earth theme uh, with a rich, full-bodied The Ark in Space from 1974, Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor's first season. I was very excited to see uh, Tom Baker. We'll talk about him because to me, without knowing anything about Doctor Who, when anyone said Doctor Who for about 20 years of my life, this is the person who had somehow seeped into my brain through popular culture as Doctor Who. That is Doctor Who. So that was very exciting to see him. And it is is Doctor Who for everybody. Right. You're not special is what I'm trying to say. Now it is the section of the show where we recap things and I will recap Beginning with The End of the World, Season 1, Episode 2 of the new series. This aired on the 2nd of April, 2005, same day Pope John Paul II died. Coincidence? Yes. It was mm, a coincidence. Entirely. Yeah, as far as we know. So here's what went down. The doctor asks Rose what she wants to do, and she still likes the idea of time travel. So he takes them to the end of Earth, the moment when the Earth is going to be like the heat death of Earth. Uh, the doctor uses a fake ID, which is a great special effect of just showing a blank card, uh, the blank card, which he explains he can and everyone sees anything they want when he shows it. They get into a fancy party. Some rich people are having during the moment the Earth is about to be subsumed by the sun. There's a lot of weird aliens. There's a tree, a face, Cassandra, the last human ever. She'll she'll come back later. And my favorite thing ever my favorite named thing so far is the adherent of the repeating meme, which is sounds like most of Twitter. That's like a Twitter bot <laughs> like mm-hmm. come to life. Um, so suddenly then Rose is like having a panic attack at everything going on. And it was very believable to me. Um, it's a very it's overwhelming because remember, she has just stepped onto this ship like uh, five right. minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And then this is the first tape they go. Um, the doctor we start to see is very cagey about just who he is to Rose and to anyone who asked the, the tree lady also asks. 
Uh, Rose bonds with a servant who is promptly killed by evil robots. Rose then meets uh, Cassandra, the last human on Earth, who, and she really lets her have it. She really just unloads on Cassandra. Rose has her own stuff going on here, but she also really has some value judgments about Cassandra. But the, the bitchy trampoline line is really worth the uh, just <laughs> cuts her to the quick. And it's hard to use that in in regular conversation, but I'm trying. There really could have been some, you know, Z Z shaped snapping during during that whole uh, during that whole thing. Um, the doctor saves Rose from being burned alive by the sun, which is Cassandra's response, which is also very catty to burn someone alive with the sun. Uh, that is, I mean, what a comeback! Uh, and then him, the doctor and Tree Lady, very flirtily, very flirtily, go off and find the sabotage robots. And the tree lady, by the way, mentions that she she figures out a little bit about the doctor and mentions basically she talks about his people's past like it was a genocide. That's how she speaks about it. Um, the doctor reveals Cassandra was the one sabotage. The last human was the one sabotaging. And I guess I should explain Cassandra. The last human is a piece of skin that is stretched out over. Um, she's just skin. She's just a face. And that's how she's kept alive. Um, she. Uh, he reveals that she was the one sabotaging. She's holding them all captive. And then the tree lady and the doctor have to go through these big scary fans to save everyone. And the tree lady lets herself catch fire in order to slow down the fans, which the doctor really does not take advantage of. Hmm. So it was a very beautiful sacrifice, but it was also like, hey, get through the fans. She's slowing mm-hmm. them down. Mm-hmm. But uh, he does ultimately save everyone, though the earth still explodes. Uh, Cassandra, the last human, dies. So Rose is now the last human. And we learned that the Doctor is the last of a race called the Time Lords. John, what did I miss? I think you did fairly well there. Um, the fake ID, of course, is the psychic paper that will come back. Um, <laughs> so silly. <laughs> well, it's a great shortcut because, of course, you know, much the earlier Doctor Who is much longer, and, and and just about every episode of Doctor Who, because of course this is what would happen in in quote unquote real life is you know he shows up and people are like who is this random person? He must be a spy, or he's just, you know there's some, he's not supposed to be here, and they lock them up, and then you know it's this whole sort of rigmarole to prove who he is. And then they were like, well, we only have 50 minutes now. So they just said, here, here's this thing. It'll be sort of a universal ID. Um, and they use it quite a bit. And, and it does. It does. I mean, because eventually the whole, oh, he's a spy. He's a bad guy gets gets old. Um, and so this is these a things, shortcut. <clears throat> these things remind me of um, they're they're sort of. They remind me of MacGuffins in that they're not something, this nameless thing that doesn't really matter that they're looking for. It's sort of these shortcuts to plots that, um, not plots, but avenues they don't want to get into. It's like, how about just this? How about he has a screwdriver that gets into everything? And let's just not worry about that. And then how about he has a fake ID that works everywhere? So we just won't have any scenes about that. How about that? And so then it works, you know? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it's just sort of classic. Um, you know, even in the past, a sonic screwdriver it was always it. It only works. It works until it's it's better not to work for the plot. Um, and it, it's going to start doing that even in this series too. It's like, well, it's convenient to get out of this situation, but we need him to be stuck in this situation. So you know, uh, and so yes, there's all these sorts of. It is it is an interesting and it makes sense. Like it is, but it is a cool sort of shortcut. Um, let's see, you you got um, uh. Yes, I think you picked up on the sort of the big theme of this, which is is Rose's panic attack and sort of adjusting yeah. to be a companion, which is which is and so, so this is definitely um, in old Doctor Who, uh, and you see a little bit of this in the Arctic Space coming up. Uh, the companions would would 
you know, sort of flit off with him. And then they would just be kind of like, oh, I guess we'll travel in space. They were and just kind of game. Like they're just kind of game for things, right? And they didn't have family or they, if they did, they didn't seem to care what the family was worried about them or not. And they just kind of went off and did their thing. And, and um, you know, they would often have a beginning story that gave them a lot of character and background. And then it would just, then they'd just become a generic sort of traveling companion through the rest of it. They'd have their own character, but you didn't really reference their past. Um, and so this really does uh, uh, try to take on sort of the, oh, this is a character. <laughs> you know, this is what a person would actually do in this situation. Um, that, exactly. Is that was my reaction is when they started to have the scene of the panic attack. At first, I thought um, it was meant to be her reacting very strongly to, oh, my God, the earth is ending. Um, and I feel like by the end, they may have sold me on that she would really have gotten that or grasped that but they really more changed it into the way she was just looking around and seeing all these crazy things that she was just overwhelmed like sensorily just overwhelmed by what was happening and that she has that moment with the servant where she's saying i don't even know his name i don't even know what's going who this person is i've just gone off with this person and you could tell that she was just completely rethinking this choice which to your point when she when she made it in the first episode which is it was fun it was just sort of her saying yeah, th- th- sure. I'll go with you around space. That sounds fun. What have I got going on here? <laughs> I'm, I'm working in a shop. That sounds pretty good. And then sort of the reality of all of it setting in. I appreciate it. It was very believable. And we mentioned this actress, Billy Piper. I thought she did a pretty good job. And the thing I wanted to mention about her in this episode, too, was um, she it's, it's especially funny that she was, I guess, somewhat of a pop star. Because she's not dressed in some sort of sexy way. She's in these sort of loose-fitting clothes and raggedy jeans. And I just thought, wow, if this is an American show, this is not what's happening. She's in, like, Daisy Dukes and, you know, a halter top or whatever. So I, I appreciated that they well, don't mess her up. Again, it's, I think it's, it's a lot of – and especially this episode, in fact, was actually a reaction to a lot of the old – it was sort of them saying, here's how things are going to be a little bit different. And I think that may have been a piece of it. You know, some of the – I mean, the old companions are notorious for, you know, running around in very tight dresses with high heels and like she oh, – like Yeah. And so That's there's good. like – I, Well, I wanted to say is I appreciated they did this, but I'm hoping to see some of that. So I'm <laughs> glad that will be coming in the older episodes. Yeah, and it, you know, and it's it's ridiculous in the same way as uh, what was the 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 new Jurassic World movie where she's running from the Tyrannosaurus and and in the high heels and um, you know Ron yes. Howard's daughter. Yes, oh my yes. god, I'm such a mom. I just went, oh, you know, Ron Howard's daughter. <laughs> oh, how's Ron Howard's daughter doing? You know, she's directing now. Good for oh, her. No. Good for good her. For yeah, her. Yeah. Old Opie. Um, well, I yeah. did like that. Um, I, I I I appreciated that, and that may have also been maybe some of her saying like hey i'm trying to make myself as an as an actor now so kind of i don't know don't you know it's a little that so russell davies russell t davies the guy who, who's the showrunner and has written the first several episodes or at least this, the first two um and a bunch of the season um is a very is very known for being a character like soap opera almost writer like he wasn't a sci-fi writer he, he was his biggest thing before this was queer as folk which is about gay people in manchester um the uk uh, and then he did an hbo or showtime whatever version but anyway um so he's he very he's very character driven drama and so i think he was very deliberately you know he he and, and this is a very much a character piece right and it is and and i think it, it's also um i love the part because he sets up this big problem which is like oh this woman has just gone off with this random person and oh well <laughs> you know and now she's having this panic attack and then he solves the problem by giving her a chance to talk to her mother 
which is yeah. absurd and at the same time completely like yeah okay if if you were totally untethered and then he gives you this thing he's like you can call your mom and here she is doing the laundry yeah that's believable i mean maybe not totally but it is kind of like okay that would settle me down a little bit like i'm not just completely yeah. unmoored here uh so i think it's a very incisive uh um, character moment and that, that again allows you to acknowledge the reality of oh she's in the middle of this crazy thing and then also lets you solve that problem uh, and move on to you know the monsters and the <laughs> now he can go through space and time so was it meant to be that this call came in a way that the mom hasn't noticed her missing or anything like that it's just sort of a normal call that's what it felt yeah. like yeah I, I think it sounds like she's you know she just hasn't been there that day or something um they so uh jackie and mickey both come back uh later in the season um okay. and so there's a lot of back and forth which again is very unusual for, for doctor who normally they would just leave and never mention their families again and often not end up going back to their families um so it's very interesting you know this is much more realistic i think you know in terms of you know realistic for a time traveling guy i had um um i want to move on to uh the arc in space which is our older episode but a couple things i wanted to ask before about just like plot wise about uh the end of the world or, or plot and i don't know um one they sort of seem to mention that teleportation is forbidden is that I think it was or, just in this is a security thing around this this oh, platform. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Sort of, okay. Yeah, I didn't like know a security thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then uh, there was a lot of chemistry, flirty chemistry between him and and Miss mm. Tree. Uh, so you had mentioned before that this Jade. The doctor, I think it's Jade is the name. Jade. Miss Tree. That, not so much <laughs> <laughs> Miss Tree. She. Um. I told you she was great. I was. I. I was feeling very bad for her sacrifice because I just felt like. Oh, you briefly slowed down three fans, but mm-hmm. not the last one. And he was anyway that he'll have to deal with that. Not me. So well, that's, it, you know, I will say it's also a classic. Uh, this is how you see the influence of science fiction on young. Enge- so I work in tech, right? And young engineers. And why would you put the thing you need to turn everything off behind the three, don't giant put it behind fans, the three fans? Right. Yeah, and it's like this is it's just it's this is just two factor authentication. Take like, it to the Simon, like, why do I have to keep signing in? <laughs> Simon, I have some comments on your plans here. I love the layout of this whole system. Do we need the huge <laughs> diamond fan blade spinning? Because we're going to have to get to that panel often. Are we, we're going to have to go there a lot. So, well, this is this is a, this is that brilliant scene in uh, Galaxy Quest, right, where they have to go through the engineering thing, and it's designed for. The, and they go, "Why would you design it this way?" <laughs> Anyway, sorry, you were going to say something. Yes. No, no. Uh, so, and then she, well, we'll find out more and talk more, I'm sure, in the coming episodes about the idea that him being a Time Lord seems to be a secret uh, or something. I don't know. Maybe he's just holding it close to the vest. But is everyone aware? I guess we'll find out. If if, if we'll just find out more about this, that's fine. But um What would I already know being a fan of Doctor Who, I guess, is like, would there there be something I would know about this? You would know he's a Time Lord. You would know he's from the planet called Gallifrey. There's a lot of backstory. Um, All this mention of a war is new information. Right, right. Um, You mentioned that was new. And that's, yeah, the Time War will come up. And um, uh, and what's sort of brilliant about it is it allows, by making sort of the first season arc kind of about his history. Um, it allows you to explain that history without just some info dump, right? Like, so we'll right. watch at some point, we'll watch the TV movie, which is the eighth doctor, which they tried to, they basically try to explain 
the entire series in like five minute voiceovers. It's totally <laughs> irrelevant there. And it's just, it's just, it's utterly confusing. It's a total disaster. And it so says the brilliant thing here was, you know, if we, if we can tell this story and reference these things that are, the fans are going to want to know and what whatnot, but it, it we're we're explaining it because it's part of the story, right? That it's, it's how it's something you need to understand the story. I will kind of, will reel it out slowly, which I think is, is rather, it's a great way to do it. Um, uh, and again, Russell Davis is just a really good writer and storyteller. And I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, I think he also, and, and, you know, to add to that, I think he's, he's, he's being very smart with this story. Cause you start to watch it. And you think, well, that's, you know, if you want to ease someone into this time travel thing, maybe don't take them to the destruction of their planet. Uh, <laughs> sort of your first, first moment, but I, it's, it's very much like, it's designed, I think, to show his perspective on things, right? Like that these, you know, planets burn and, and, you know, they go back at the end of the street and it's, you know, see, it's still here. And I think it's a very deliberate choice to sort of show, yeah, this is, this is his, this is how he sees the world or the universe. Oh, and that scene at the end was really great. Yeah. That was really a nice, nice scene. Sorry, they, I, we didn't mention, but they sort of go back to the earth. There's just people bustling around London and they have this little nice little interaction about, she smells French fries and she was like, why don't we get some French fries? And I love the fact chips, that he chips. doesn't have any money. Chips. Yes. I'm translating. <laughs> oh, I see. For it should be, be gibberish for someone who's yeah, an American. Um, <laughs> yes, and uh, I will say that was the moment uh, watching the new, you know, when these were coming out where I thought this is going to work, you know, because mm. Doctor Who fans were very nervous about all this happening and it's going to be ridiculous or it's, it's just it's not going to be what we hoped it would be or it's going to be some stupid americanized thing where you know all they do is have car chases and he have sex with every girl he meets and stuff like that uh and, and then then they it clearly was not and and um and then there's sort of these this moment uh at the end of the episode and it's like oh this is going to be more char- there's going to be more character driven stuff here it's not just going to be sci-fi plot and i'm actually going to be interested in these people and it was sort of this episode was sort of the the moment of here are things that you will recognize from classic doctor who the monsters and and all and the, all that kind of stuff and then here is also this element that's going to be new that isn't going to be part of uh, or that wasn't part of the original or was not as emphasized in the original um and that was sort of the moment i was like well this this might actually work uh and that's the other, I, I want. Okay, I want to hear every moment throughout the history of Doctor Who where you go. You know, I think I like Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, pretty constantly because I forget a lot of things. I forget watching most of them. <laughs> um, the other thing I think that, that this was and this uh, Russell Davis interviewed um, and he said this was the deliberate intent with this story was Doctor Who had this reputation of sort of rubbish special effects, and I'm sure we'll talk a bit about that in the next episode. But uh, you know, that yes. wobbly sets was always the joke like you could see the walls and it's actually it's not it's not true it's one of those jokes that just becomes true by repetition even though it's actually not i mean yes some of the stuff is pretty dodgy but not as much as people thought or or the general public impression and so he wrote this episode and said i want to do a, a monsters and special effects kind of you know bonanza uh to show look what we can do look what look at the money behind this look at this is we're taking this seriously look at how this look at this new show um it's going to be able to it's not the doctor it's not your father's doctor who <laughs> um and you know yeah. i mean it, it's 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 old uh it's, it's what 20, 15 years old now um and you some of you know the effects look 15 years old but it's, they're still pretty good and i do there's a great nod uh which is one of the reasons i keep watching them over and over again you pick up these things is um there's a great moment where the little spiders are in the ventilation shaft mm-hmm. and they run towards the camera 
and they're they're computer generated, but the camera bumps. It, it it shakes as if it runs into the camera when it goes off a screen. Oh, okay. uh, and you know that's I think that's just a deliberate nod to you know what would have been because there were many times when people bumped into the camera in the old series. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we're going to talk more about special effects actually later in the show. Um, Last thing uh, was actually related to the special effects of all the different aliens they see. I mentioned, Um, I just wanted to ask a kind of a quick, were those some of those nods to alien races that had already been seen? Do they come back as even or is that all just self-contained in this episode uh most are self-contained one i won't spoil which one but one does come back and, and actually turns out to be quite a significant uh character um oh, wow. uh, but it's probably not the one you expect um uh actually a couple come back but um uh, none of them had appeared before the only thing i will say is that they um uh they reflect one of the things that i think i've always liked about dr who and it's also why sometimes it gets a reputation for dodgy effects is they, they will try they, when they do alien monsters, they don't just glue a couple extra bumps to somebody's forehead and been like, ah, huh? he's got three bumps. So he's different. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but he speaks English and has, you know, eyes and, you know, they, they, they try something very different and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, again, that, that these, these sort of reflect, Hey, we're going to really, we're going to, you know, this is, this will still happen, right? We're not going to go the Star Trek route where, you know, the Klingons are slightly less gray than the Cardassians or Cardassians or whichever, which, which are the ones that are horrible people and which are the ones that are aliens. I, I was distracted. Cardassians. Okay. There's no SH and the Cardassians. The, the, the SH implies reality star. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I understand. So you do that. Uh, so, uh, and then Russell T. Davies, you mentioned, uh, wrote both these. Is he going to write everything in this first season? And then that's a difference from you. We obviously didn't. We're going to come back eventually and get to some of the like the second episode of the very first Doctor. But you mentioned at the beginning that the uh, last episode that the man who wrote the first never Andrew wrote another Doctor yeah. Who's mm-hmm. uh, screenplay. So is this the way it goes with these newer ones where one person when you mentioned him being the showrunner is that also meaning he's generally like scripting out the shows for yeah the so, so there's, there's kind of a shift so in in original bbc production there was a producer and then there was usually a story editor or a script editor the title changed over the years but it was usually so the producer was kind of in charge of the whole thing and had the big ideas and the vision and whatnot and then the script editor you know worked on the the different they would commission different writers uh, who would submit scripts and then the script editor would, you know, try to put them into the house style and whatnot. And, and often in, in sort of the classic series, the script editor would heavily rewrite the scripts, uh, uh just because sometimes they were on deadline or whatever it didn't work. Uh, over time, the BBC or British television, it's changed a little bit in that now you have sort of shows are pretty much dominated by by a showrunner who's kind of the producer script editor combined. Um, and it's their sort of vision for the show. And they they do all the tone and stuff like that. So what, what's been happening in the modern who is that the, um, you know, the showrunner kind of will plan out the entire season and they'll be like, here's the arc that we're going to go through. And, you know, and, and we'll, we'll give broad ideas for story elements two different writers. So they will often hear she will write several episodes themselves to kind of set different and, you know, often, often sort of the, the significant benchmark episodes and then have other people write. And, you know, sometimes um, there's one season where in a later uh, series where Stephen Moffat is the uh, showrunner and he just, he just gave people, um, 
uh, movie titles. Uh, and he's like, I wanted to just, and one of them was, and they just actually used it as a title. Uh, he's like, dinosaurs on a spaceship. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> right. And so that was sort of there. Like, we'll do a big Western one here and we'll do a, and whatever. It's like, so they, they sort of set these general themes. Like this is where the character is headed or the characters are headed. Uh, and then the writers go away and write something and then the, they work with the showrunner to put it into shape. So the, it's heavily influenced by the personality or the, you know, the, the vision of that one writer. It's kind of a cool gig if you, because <laughs> he, yeah. I mean, he literally does everything. He looks at the special effects and is in the editing suite and edit, helping to edit the episodes together and everything but directing, you know, does the casting um, and obviously a lot of other people, but you know, he's, he's basically in charge of all of it. And, um, uh, I definitely think well, it's it's like um, uh, you know what's what's the dude's name who did Glee and uh, is now that Hollywood show on Netflix and I know who produced Doctor Who in 1965, but I don't know no modern people and <laughs> what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't Ryan know the something producer of Glee. But like, you know, I'm the sure uh, uh, Dan Harmon community, right? Uh, sure. In the way yeah. that he controlled the right and Brian writers Murphy, were, uh, who you were coaching for. Yeah, I said Kevin. It's close enough. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, Dan Harmon, right? He he had the vision for community. He he designed the characters. He wrote a bunch of the episodes, but then other people wrote stuff. And all right, let's let's move on to our old episode, a very classic, old episode, classic, a classic. Call them classic. We don't call things old. Call them classic. Mm-hmm. This is The Ark in Space, uh, season 12, and uh, serial two, story two. This uh, was aired the 25th, between the 25th of January 1975 and the 15th of February 1975. Some things happening during that time. The Weather Underground bombed the State Department. We all remember that. Uh, I and mean, the Obamas we were involved born in that, right? Yeah, I think so. What's that? Say that yeah, again. The Obamas, Obamas were involved assume, in that. I, I assume so. they must have, yes. And uh, Margaret Thatcher was elected not prime minister but she was elected leader of the conservative party in the uk during right at this moment and she was the first female leader of an opposition party at the time and then she ultimately became prime minister so and that was interesting because there are a lot of uh i don't know if i've always forgot the right term of misogyny or whatever but there are a lot of just digs at women (laughs) in these episodes that are just you know uh 35 years later are just it's very subtly inappropriate the way they're just like oh you've got a, you got a broad as the president isn't that funny <laughs> there are a bunch of very small little things yeah and that's a character thing we can talk about that but yes um, well here's here's what happened in the story the yeah, doctor yeah. and uh, uh the doctor's with a woman sarah jane and a cheeky naval medical doctor harry and i know this because the doctor uh, who is tom baker uh says their names with almost every line he ever refers to them which i really enjoyed they're in a spaceship sarah gets trapped in a room and passes out sarah jane is very much a damsel in distress most of this episode the doctor and harry save her sort of but then the ship's self-defense system or something seems to be shooting them and it shoots their shoes it shoots the doctor's very long scarf which we will talk about ad nauseum in a future episode i would love to but let's just let it be known that he has I, I a very two. long scarf yep. uh the ship's been sabotaged and then they get things working but sarah jane is disappeared away she's teleported away then they find her cryogenically frozen as well as lots of other people frozen and Everything important to human civilization, animals, plants, friends, DVDs, theme park map pamphlets, tire gauges, a sense of purpose, true love, Velcro shoes, 
endless breadsticks, the peacefulness that comes with finding your true connection with all existence from the tiniest atom to the vast expanse of empty space, Daryl Strawberry rookie cards, things like that. Just everything you need, everything you need. How depressing for Olive Garden to think that they're still going to have to honor the endless breadsticks thing. To, like yes. that somebody's still like, ah, 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 it's been 25,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> Even if Earth Let's is exploded and gone. <laughs> it's an arc, okay? It's an arc. Mm-hmm. and But it's also then there's a bug. And that was a great uh, cliffhanger. And what I love about that cliffhanger is it seems like the bug is going to attack him at the end of episode one, I think. Yes, one. Uh, and then the beginning of episode two, the reveal is the bug just falls down, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but there is, a, there is a bug, which is interesting. So people start to wake up. The ARC's leader named Noah. Get it? Get it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he's a little eugenics-y. Yes. <laughs> he's kind of uh they they don't really come back to this, but he gets very annoyed that the doctor and his friends are there because they are part of, as he refers to them, the regressives, which have been bred out of the people the humans who have been set aside to be saved. Uh but he he then shoots the doctor, the uh, the but then a bug slimes him. And now they're trapped, and he begins to turn into a bug, and they're trapped on the ship as the bugs begin to hatch. These bugs uh, have a couple different stages. One of them is as a grub, which move very slow, but overcomes a couple people in an interesting way that they can't seem to escape this uh, very, very slow slug that is moving toward them. The doctor connects his mind to uh, a piece of a dead bug to see their plan, essentially, to see how they work. Uh, they live in open space, and the the name of this race of bugs is the Weirin. The Weirin, and they they live in open space, but they spawn in other creatures, or they feed, and they feed on energy. And so they hatch a plan with the remaining humans here to lure the bugs into the transport ship, into a transport ship, and then jettison them. Which seems like a classic sci-fi story. I feel like this is something we've seen. Sarah Jane, who's been shit on most of this episode, mm. is shit on one last time by the doctor, but but as a motivational tactic. Mm. So she can save the day and they escape with the help, they think, of the of Noah, bug transformed Noah, who they think kind of actually helped them out and and decoyed the bugs onto the ship with him. And Goodbye, Vira. All is forgiven mm. and the recolonization of Earth commence recolonization they can begin and uh everyone's everyone's pretty stoked um john what what did i miss yeah everyone is stoked which is funny because uh especially when it's um vira is stoked because everyone she knows who's been awake so far is dead and then she's like (laughs) well back to work (laughs) she turns the page she you know what she's one of those people who just wakes up and you're like yesterday was yesterday today is today and you know what i have a job ahead of me it's probably has, gonna go better you know what she does john she doesn't have those uh those wall calendars with all the days of the month on it it's just you tear off one day and then that's it you tear off that day you say a little prayer you throw it out we're done with that day and that's how she that's how vera works this is actually an episode commonly used for meditation and staying in the present is to be like remember the bugs may eat your friends but you're <laughs> today <laughs> it's just a common mantra um no you you've got it uh, um pretty good um uh there there's a lot of connections to this and uh obviously the far future of earth so the earth has been destroyed or ravaged by right. solar flares which is why they're up there it's the last of humanity uh you've got um it is is it, it by is, the way can i just interrupt yeah. really quickly is that is this meant to be 
that the end of the earth that they witnessed in the modern episode sort of already happened? Is that kind of meant? Do they place things no. in that kind of a timeline in this show? I think or that no? one is further ahead. Uh, so there's not a ton of continuity. <laughs> like, okay, be, okay. This is different showrunners and the history's made. It's getting better, but you know, and the, uh, yeah. And so there are people who try to fit this. It's part of part of the game is can you actually get all these episodes to fit together? So this is supposed to be well before that. And so yes, the Earth is ravaged by solar flares. Everybody, some people go to the Ark and sleep. Some people evacuate and they go and colonize other places. And she mentions, oh, some of our colony ships may have made it. And we yeah, they went there, through yeah. Andromeda. Andromeda. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, this is a, this is Harry's first trip in the TARDIS. Uh, this is actually Tom Baker's second episode. So it's his second. Oh, really? The yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, so, so his, his was sort of a re- regeneration episode and, um, uh, you know, the first one. And, um, uh, you know, it takes a while for they go through whatever the post regeneration and they're sort of odd. And, and so it takes a while to settle down. So this was really his first, you know, here's how I'm going to play the character. Uh, and he's still sort of finding his feet. But, yes, this is very much his first and Harry's first trip in the TARDIS. Sarah had been with the doctor before he changed and for a whole season. Oh, so, so we'll talk more about the companions later in yeah. the show. But that's interesting that they they overlap. They can overlap mm-hmm. doctors. Yeah, uh, that's really fascinating that both. uh so wait, now you refer to the doctors generally as the number of doctor that they were. Yes, so this the is the fourth, fourth doctor. doctor. Mm-hmm. So the fourth doctor, it's interesting to me that you said the fourth doctor, this was, he had just kind of come on the scene because it, I mean, yes, I'm sure it develops over time, but I, it didn't feel like someone finding their footing to me. I <laughs> felt like I, I thought this is this team. I did think that Harry was new, but that was just something they referenced. Right. And and what I thought was funny, and we'll, again, we'll talk more about the companions, is that Harry seemed new and seemed to have no problem with anything going on. <laughs> it was just game and, you know, really rolls that's with it. it. Really rolls yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this is the uh, this is the only outing for the Weirn in the uh, classic series. They never come back. They never appeared before or come back. Um, I think they're a great example, though, of, of, again, sort of that, you know, the you know the whole the whole story centers around the life cycle of the Weirin, right? And right. um you couldn't do that again with just some rando with a couple of bumps on his head be like, Oh, I lay my eggs and other people and then they eat you know, they eat that person out and then they become a you know, a, a grub and what like it has to look like a a wasp or a, an ant or a, you know, some combination right. of them. Right. Uh, and so you can only do that story if you're willing to take the, the you know, I, I'm sure somebody sat down and they were like, okay, we're going to need a, a bunch of giant bugs uh, that, you know, some poor, and you know, the, the, the grub is a little stuntman. I believe his name is Stuart fell. Who's just this little stuntman in a, basically a sleeping bag. Uh, I was gonna say, was like, we need a realistic grub. It was like, well, we have sleeping bags and we can paint them green. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, at the How other, uh, and and again, you know, this is, this is what I love about Doctor Who is it's, they do go for it. I mean, you know, that poor actor Noah, uh, he doesn't quite pull it off, but he has to spend one scene arguing with a bubble wrap hand. <laughs> right? It's yeah. a green bubble wrap hand, and he's no, I thought he fighting okay. with it. He does okay, but it's hard. Um, uh, and then you did mention this sounded like a familiar plot. This, a lot of people can think this might have been partly an inspiration for the movie alien because it would have come out a few years mm. before. And there are okay. a lot of similarities, you know, in the taking over people and space station. And I will say this is one of my favorite. So Tom Baker is a very, is a personality. I mean, that's why he's so good as the doctor. He kind of is the doctor. 
And so apparently there's a story about he went to the movies with some uh, his the woman who was his companion on Doctor Who at the time later, uh, a few years later, and um, uh, and uh, and the, one of the producers of Doctor Who, and they were sitting in this Leicester Square movie theater watching Alien, uh, which is kind of a slow movie if you've seen it. it's not it's not it's not Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, and uh, no. yes, yeah, so they're debating what to do. Uh, you know, the alien's gone into the hold of the ship from the little acid or whatever, and they're like, "Oh, what do we do? What do we do?" <laughs> Apparently, he just in the middle of this theater just shouts out, "Why don't you just go down there and bore the alien to death?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny you say that because I was actually thinking about um, Alien watching this show, uh, and that actually watching both these episodes. But one thing that is definitely a through line of the limited numbers I've seen of the show just has a vibe, but it, it means well, it's sort of, it's, I don't even want to say that it's light because I'm sure there's heavier things that happen, but it's the kind of sci-fi I like, which is that it's not so bogged down and heavy. And um, I recently had, I had never watched Blade Runner and I finally watched it and I just really didn't enjoy it at all. I, I did recognize the incredible visuals of it clearly affected like all films future uh, after it. But Boy, it was just so uh, just <laughs> got me down, and and just the it's so dystopian. And uh, I have seen Blade Runner three times, and I have never stayed awake the entire thing. I have fallen asleep every single time. It's just tough, and I just felt watching. I was actually watching the first episode, but it, it certainly carried through in this one, where just the vibe is so nice. And I, I thought this is the sci-fi I like. I like the sci-fi where yes, we explore these things and there's danger, but we're not just bumming each other out all the time with, you know, where everything's headed. Not that, you know, bad things happen. The earth ended, you know, uh, this, this, again, there was some weird eugenic stuff going on with the, but it just, the, the vibe. And I think that's really, you know, the main characters of the, the, the whole um, thrust of the doctor seems to be a, they never get down. They never feel real uh, uh, concern. And I, I just really appreciate it. Alien, I think, is an example of, um, you know, I, I like it. Okay, I, li- I like that. It's it's done well. But certainly in a series, I think having this really just... Uh, it's why I actually stopped watching uh, The Walking Dead. A totally different show, not a sci-fi show. But I remember really loving a season or two of it. And then I was just like, wow, I, I, I can't. I can't watch any more of this. I, I, I do not. Uh, um, I, I'm not a huge scary movie person, but I'll watch some. But I can't do zombies because, it, for exactly that reason, it's the nihilism, right? The, the zombie, yeah. No one wins a zombie movie. You're going to die, no. whether even if the characters make it to the end of the movie. It's like, yeah, but eventually they're going to die because there's just going to be more zombies. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I think that's. I mean, if you actually think about the plot of the Argon Space, it's very dark. Like the first Dune was eaten by a bug that laid its eggs in him, and then it ate. Ten- <laughs> thousand years ago and then right. the whole plan was ruined yeah uh yeah. and then there's even um uh so there's a very uh at the beginning of episode three uh, you, you may notice there's a very odd edit where uh, it's it's byron the doctor in the corridor and and noah has got sort of half alien he's got the gun on them and then there's an exchange of dialogue and then it suddenly just cuts and then the gun drops at her feet and like he's yes. kind of disappeared so that was uh it was filmed as she uh, he was begging her to kill him uh and oh. the producer was like 
yeah, okay, this is too much. <laughs> this is for children. <laughs> um, and it is, and this was, by the way, this is, uh, American Space is one of the highest rated of the classic series. 14 million people watched it. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, wow. it was huge um, because this was really when Doctor Who was hitting its, its height. That's like the current live numbers for like the yeah. Super Bowl because, I mean, no one <laughs> there watched There were only like three TV. channels in 1974 still, but, yeah. but it was also at 5.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. So it was big. Um, uh, but yeah, so this was, a, yeah, the producer was like, okay, that's a little too horrific. But yeah, there's, there's, this, the Concepts behind this, and and we'll, we'll definitely. This is sort of the golden era, and certainly my one of my favorite eras of Doctor Who. This producer and this script editor, uh, Phil Pinchcliffe and Robert Holmes, and it gets very in, uh, adult. But again, there is always this sort of light, especially Tom Baker. There's this lightness around it, right? And sort of you know, there's jokes, and it's it's got this British dry yeah. wit to it that it's like okay, even though we're doing this very serious thing, one I think my favorite character in this uh, episode. Uh, and this is something this writer Robert Holmes is very good at doing is Rogan, like at the the guy who who's like, oh, there's been a stitch up. I knew it. I knew this wouldn't work. And he's just like he's just so realistic. I, I love when like him and Harry. I thought they could have a spinoff of just like some weird buddy cop adventure. The two of them go off. Um, it has a very so the things that was reminding me of, which no doubt are more influenced by it rather than took from it, is. It reminds me of Guardians of the Galaxy. It reminds me of the Fifth Element. Like it, it really like these. Again, bad things happen. There are gritty moments to them, but you never lose sight of it's a tone. And like you said, in for example, we liked uh, during the end of the world that they treat Rose's sort of realization of where she is in a very realistic way, and it's scary. Uh, and and the the companions in this episode especially Harry, like you said, I can't believe it's his first ride in the TARDIS. He's so ridiculously fine with everything, but, but there are other serious things happening in the show. So in this case, if Harry was real freaking out and realistic, that would bring the tone down. Like everything can't be there to, to maintain this sort of lighter tone. And in this case, the companion kind of being a uh, kind of a goofball uh, helps. It helps just keep this otherwise maybe, more dark plot uh from bringing from coming bringing the whole show down yeah and it's it's just a little throw uh, i think one of my favorite lines from this is one of tom baker's favorite lines too is um you know when he's after the in the first episode when the little the little defense thing has come down and it's seared his scarf and he says oh you know, terrible madame nostradamus made it for me witty little knitter <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's like, it's just one of the favorite lines of Baker. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's just these little things. It's also, I should say, this, the, one of the reasons I picked this episode too is a, a ton of parallels, but uh, both Russell T. Davies and then Stephen Moffat, who take over, who takes over Doctor Who after four seasons in the new series, this is their favorite episode, or they list this as one of their favorites. Oh, really? Uh, wow. It, it is kind of... It is a very classically structured Doctor Who episode, right? Especially, especially that they show up in the first episode. It's entirely them. There's nobody else, right, in the first episode except the main cast, and they right. walk around, uh, and you know they get separated, and something happens, and they, and they sort of keep, and, and then they discover the plot, and then you know they 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 take on the role of defending humanity, and this Tom Baker's speech about human, you, you know, indomitable, indomitable about the human race, and. Uh, uh, you know, there's it's very classic in so many ways uh, of sort of the Doctor Who structure, um, and this is often considered, especially for anybody around our age who would this was right when you know you would have been ten, twelve years old when Doctor Who. Well, not me, but when I I started watching this on PBS, this was what was yeah. being showed. Yeah, but the showrunners definitely would have been, and yeah, this was just like the Doctor and Sarah, and to an extent Harry are kind of the classic. Um, uh, 
set of of <laughs> characters and the, the this was when the, this was the most influential portion of the show or time for the show i think for, well for those we'll, guys. we'll talk probably in future episodes more about them specifically but uh yeah like we said uh well we're like i said rather tom baker i was i'm surprised to hear that he'd only this was the second episode in because the thing i thought about him was wow he this person it he is embodying this thing, this, this character. He felt, it didn't feel like an actor. It felt like, I think this is how this person is. And it fits very well with, uh, with, with the character. And that might not be true, but no, that, that's, that's it felt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, but it, I mean, just the, he was born the, for the, the way he was just his eyes. I mean, just his eyes and the way he makes, his eye contact is used so interestingly where most of the time he is staring off into space even while he's talking to people and then suddenly when he like connects with someone to make eye contact and deliver the line like that means something different than the normal i'm just going to talk to you while i'm walking around and then sarah jane uh we'll see more of um but she is a very beautiful um, I, I'm a Sarah Jane fan uh, so far, but I did think she she was really shat upon. <laughs> but she also gets. I think the cool thing is she's the one who solves it at the end. She's the one who says, "Oh yeah, what about the spaceship? It's, it'll be powered separately." Like she and comes they're trying to and the, they're trying the power to cable. shut her up. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, no, no it's, it's, they did a very good job, and, and she's she's just an excellent actress. And yeah, Tom Baker was very much so. Um, he was. Uh, not particularly well known before this. His biggest role, he was in the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which was one of those I think Harryhausen movies or something in the seventies. He was like a wizard or something, uh, and he, one of the producer that cast him saw him in that and said, "Oh, this this guy might be very good." Uh, and um, when he got the role as the doctor, he was working as a uh, on a construction site. Like he wasn't acting. He was, and uh, he he basically wow. there are pictures of him celebrating when when they find out, you know, that, oh he because he you know he's he got the role and he was like, Oh, well, you don't have to pour this concrete anymore because you're Dr. Who now. And it was at the, it, by then it was a big enough role that it was news. Like it was on the local or evening news. If he got cast, like Dr. Who is such an institution that when they cast a new doctor, it makes the news or the papers. Like it's kind of, it's that big a thing. Um, so yeah, so he was, uh, this was sort of his first and in many ways, his only major role. Cause he really did. He, he played it the longest. He's the most associated with it. Like you said, you know, all the uh, David Tennant, uh, who's the tenth Doctor, was interviewed, and you know, one of the things he said is, "Oh, every, every fan or uh, all the casual fans will still ask, where's your scarf?'" As it, and, and he's like, "The Doctor hasn't worn a scarf in twenty, thirty years, but he's so associated with that role and that actor yeah. that uh, that that's just what they did." And the story behind the scarf, briefly, is uh, they said he was going to the costume designer said, oh, "We have a scarf," and they had some old woman who they basically was going to make it for him. And they sent her a whole bunch of yarn to make it. And um, instead of making it the length, they said she just used all the yarn. So she made it. it's just really long because she <laughs> used all the yarn. And they're like, oh, I guess this is all right. We'll make it work. <laughs> so let's move on to the theme section of the show. Themes is where we talk about themes, themes. First, I'm not, I'm not theme. following, but we'll, we'll see how this pans out. First, yes. First theme or topic mm. or again poorly named area of the show <laughs> is uh the companions. John, uh we've seen now four or five, I mean six or seven different people, but four or five different kind of groups of companions. 
John, tell me what we need to know about the companions. Uh, yeah, so the companions are are um, well, they certainly evolve over the years. Um, they're they're definitely the audience identification figure, right? They're the person you're supposed to somewhat relate to, like uh, because obviously the doctor is sort of the mysterious other. Uh, and I, I mean, it's um, uh, when they wrote novelizations, and later there was sort of a whole in the wilderness years when Doctor Who was off the air, and they had spin-off fiction. Um, one of the rules was you were never supposed to write from the Doctor's point of view. He's always supposed to be a little bit distant, and you never quite know what he's thinking. And so he was always how the companions and how they react to him that's supposed to be. Um, and then they also were to take on different roles, um, you know, within the story. So as we saw last week, the um, uh, or whatever unit of time ago it was. Uh, <laughs> the, um, uh, Ian is sort of the action hero, you know, the younger teacher, right? He's the sort of the action guy because William Hartnell was old and, and the first doctor could only do so much. Uh, actually, interestingly, Harry, uh, uh, Ian Martyr uh, in the Argon Space, he was cast before Tom Baker. He was actually, um, uh, and, and they cast him because they were, they, I guess there was a possibility the doctor would be an older actor. And they said, well, we need somebody to be able to do the action parts and the stunts. Uh, and then when Tom Baker was cast, they're like, Oh, well, I guess not. Uh, and so Harry only lasts a season. Uh, he's a great companion. He does a very good job, but he's kind of redundant. Like they struggled to find things for him to do because Tom Baker could do the stuff that they thought they would need. So, you know, some, so they could be the action hero. Uh, obviously their, their role is to be, get into trouble, uh, <laughs> to get into jeopardy and you know, <laughs> somebody has to like save bait. them. Yeah, or some bad alien race yeah. uh, has to um, ha- they ask the questions, um, right? So the the doctor, ha- the companions have to be, you know, what what does that mean? And they all hate it, right? The actors are all, you know, every all my lines were, what what is what does he mean, doctor? Why is he doing that, doctor? Um, but it's essential. So they they did try uh, in the seventh season, the third doctor, his initial companion was a, a Liz Shaw, and we'll see she's in some of my favorite episodes. We'll see some of her, but um, she was a physicist from Cambridge. And they realized she was too smart. They were like, well, she and the doctor just have these conversations. And, you know, we can't make her ask dumb questions because she's a doctorate in physics <laughs> and she's brilliant. So they wrote her out and they cast like this also smarter only, but not, you know, scientifically smart companion right. Joe. Uh, and, and, you know, and, um, yeah, same kind of thing. So you, you need somebody to be able to ask these questions. And then, of course, yeah, the, um, the companions are most popular or most known for being usually attractive women uh, and <laughs> usually uh, screaming a lot. That was the other, you know, sort of a, um, sometimes they were cast on, could they scream? Uh, she louder. did. That's funny you say that because there were a couple of moments in this episode where Sarah Jane screamed at moments where I thought it, it was pretty unnecessary for anyone mm-hmm. to need to scream necessarily. Yeah. There's a lot of screaming. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's great if you're no. if you're listening to audio recordings of it, aside too, um, because you know my husband will be sitting next to me in bed or something, and I'll be listening to it, and he's like, "There's a lot of screaming going on." And I'm like, "Yes, it's great, isn't it?" <laughs> you can usually hear it through the headphones. Uh, yeah, there, there can be a lot of noise. Um, uh, it makes sense, yeah. by the way, what you say about the the physicist woman of not just that they're sort of both so smart about certain scientific things that you didn't have that kind of layman there to ask questions, but also because the, the, it seems to me that the companions, okay, they're your way in, but they also like represent humanity in these conversations and represent the more, or at least what we think of if humanity was out in this wider universe of, well, we're the emotional beings who go on these, you know, gut choices and instincts. Um, and the, the doctor is much more 
analyzing things. He knows much more and, and isn't necessarily always going off those instincts. And so the companions are the ones sort of bringing that into it. And I guess I'm by proxy saying that physicists are not really humans, which is not really <laughs> what I meant to say. So I want to make sure. I, I mean, do I we know any physicists? I mean, come on. I don't. Um, no, I don't. Um, no, and um, uh, it, it's, there's some interesting parallels. And again, we'll get to this as, this, as the new series kind of goes on, but there's interesting parallels in that it's sort of often argued that uh, uh, so Ian and Barbara are sort of the first humans that the doctor ever travels with, at least officially. I don't know, things may change, but uh, um, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on. We'll get to in a few seasons. Um, but anyway, um, and it, it is, it's sort of, uh, story-wise it's kind of argued retconned a little bit though, to sort of say, Oh, you know, he, they changed him. They started to change him and humans had, and you know, that, that whole scene where he tries to kill the guy with the rock and Ian stomps him. And like, that doesn't really happen again. It's sort of, yeah, the doctor is softened by the presence of humans. And then you, in the new series, you get that a lot, right? That, that uh, you'll see the arc of this first season, the, the roses effect on the doctor and sort of the, the trauma from the war and how she brings him out of that. Uh, and you'll see in later seasons, David Tennant and others to sort of, you can't travel alone because you're so powerful and you, you need someone to sort of, Keep, to keep your humanity even though he's not human in check uh and um yeah so this is the the companion plays a very important role um they have been called assistants sometimes um a companion can be weird there's always a, does he ever call them his companion like where does that term yeah, come from uh, my friend um uh it's some great moments with tom baker and sarah, so liz Layden and tom baker the, the sarah and the fourth doctor um the actors were very good uh and they really had a lot of chemistry and he he really liked her and um yes there's some great moments where he'll just you know they'll be in like meeting like important people or whatever and he'll just go i'm the doctor and this is sarah she's my best friend <laughs> um but uh um uh yeah there's different uh, different terms through uh, for them um the rule in the classic series and it was sort of the unwritten rule amongst the producers was there uh, no quote hanky panky in the tardis uh they could not there could not be any romantic relationship between them. that changes in this series <laughs> or in this this the new series um and they definitely open the door to sort of romantic or some kind of romantic interest uh it'll be interesting to see how you interpret it um because they, they dance around it quite a bit um but at the time yes there was never any any hint of any kind of romance they were friends platonic friends which is which is actually um I think part of why the show appealed to me as a, you know, growing up as a young gay person who didn't know I was gay, probably. Um, but, you know, Captain Kirk was always, I always found it so boring when Captain Kirk would be like, ooh, look at this hot blonde. And I'm right, like, right. God, when is he going to get back to shooting things with laser beams? Uh, and I'm sure probably other guys were like, yeah, go for it. Uh, like Doctor Who, he wasn't interested in that, right? He was more interested in the story and the adventure. And so, I, I mean, Doctor Who is very popular amongst gay fans. And I maybe I think that's a piece of it, like, right, that the heteronormative romance was not a part of the show. Well, I also think, so this um the oh god the uh, the arc the arc in space, in space. Mm -hmm. uh the arc in space i watched with uh, my five-year-old daughter nelly and the other thing is it's nice watching stuff that doesn't have big romantic plot lines in it with her because a she's not really interested in them and b then you don't want to inundate her with you know that the the thrust of the overall plot must always have to do with you marrying someone right. um and because you know that's just not there's many other stories to tell and so i know that it's it's obviously also 
very popular with kids. And I think that's part of it too, or you, you don't get into some of those complexities in the same way. At the same time, you're talking about very other very complex things. Um, but it's just nice to have the variety. I mean, so many stories are about that. So there's no need to. And if because they're constant main characters on the show, that would take over every episode. And maybe it will. So I guess we'll see. But it, it does. They, they do. I think they do a pretty good job. I, I actually don't mind at the layers that they add to the show and, and the way they do it. And they're very careful with it. Um, but yeah, it, it is. And, you know, other characters, there will be some romances around the periphery. Uh, it's sort of Barbara and Ian. It's it's never explicitly said, but they're definitely flirting with each other as time goes by and they leave together. And it's sort of it's, people, yeah, people assume that, you know, going to uh, bone town. They had, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and, um, uh, yeah, there, there is sort of there is definitely romance around it. But, yes, it's very it's it's not it's it's very much not the center of the show. Um, Let, let's um let's um move on and talk about another uh, theme. Second theme, mm-hmm. theme two. These are themes. Which is basically you can travel in time in this show, and Correct. you you can go in the past. You've, and you've you grasped can... that really central tenant <laughs> to the show. <laughs> well, basically, you can go in the past and go in the future. Both these were really about going to the future, and I just wanted to talk about the future that is presented by Doctor right. Who, um, and because in it's implied in both of these stories, there's a lot implied about where things are headed in the universe and for humanity. Um, so can you talk a bit about the future in the show? Yeah. So time is, is, is complicated. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about, it's a little bit, I think with the next episode and some later ones too, but um, uh, when they go back in the past, the doctor's always like, we can't mess with history. This has already happened. When they go to the future, He's like, oh, well, we can do basically do whatever we want. Who cares? There's no concern. But it's like, but the future, you traveled in time. There is no future and no past, <laughs> Like, which is sort of the point right. of this episode, right? That there, it's all happening all at the same time. But he's suddenly, he's very concerned about also only Earth, only Earth. If, if it's back in Earth history, like, well, this is how the French Revolution worked out. There's nothing we can do. But some other planet is like, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> let's kill this guy and we'll change this thing. Um and I mean, it's obviously it's essential from a storytelling perspective, right? There and, and there's some great stories about not changing the future and, and sort of time and 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 how they play with it um, uh, in the in the classic series and some in the in the modern series. But uh, yeah, the, the rules on time travel are, are complex and they evolve constantly. Um, and it's it's now they've now come up with a, just sort of the brilliant conceit that as a time traveler and as a time lord, the Doctor basically. Basically, they're like, he knows. There's sort of all this this talk about like fixed points in time and certain points are in flux and oh, these things can change, but these things can't. Because, you know, the other problem is that you, you know, you go, they go back in time and somebody's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to kill Richard Nixon. And then they're like, but I know Richard Nixon lives until night. And he's like, oh no, it's, it's a, it's this time is in flux. So we can kill Richard Nixon for the space of this story, but not, uh, it's a, it's complicated and they have to just keep making up different. And then they're like, why are you killing Nixon? Kill Hitler. Yeah. Why, why are we killing Nixon? I mean, that would be a little better, I guess. But uh, yeah. then right, the exactly. EPA wouldn't be created. And, you know, it's exactly. It's it's complex. Um, that episode about the creation of the EPA. Um, is, that, is that touched on? I would really love that if they touched on the EPA. Perhaps the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. I would love to talk yeah. some about that if we could. Well, I mean, they go through the Administrative Procedure Act uh, regulatory so thing. It's just, it is, it's, it's riveting. It so yeah, no. So they go into the future a lot, um, and you know, uh, it's um, uh, there is uh, 
there, and there, there will be things referenced in the new series that comes in classic. There are sort of, I guess, we have general like, themes about, or general ideas of what happens in the future, right? That they are sort of spelling out humanity's future in a way. Um, and, uh, you know, we know humans go off and colonize the rest of the galaxy and there are humans everywhere. And we know the earth is, does end at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, but they, again, they, they still, and there's sometimes things will conflict with each other and, it's part of the sort of the the fun that people have, which is, can I, here's two stories, one in 1965 and one in 2010. Can I somehow make them work together? Right. Do they actually, um, which is, it's kind of a fun, this is like, a, um, uh, you, Sorry, I, I, meaning the writers use that as a fun exercise? No, no, the oh. uh, um, sometimes fans. writers, but often the fans are like, "How can we make this fit?" Right, and this is a lot like it's not quite the same, but um, there's a wonderful. Uh, so, if you've ever Sherlock Holmes fans, um, uh, and maybe I should say this for our Sherlock Holmes podcast, uh, yes, which, which we have to get to, and it's late, <laughs> yeah, and we have to make sure to we record that. that. Uh, Sherlock Holmes fans have have this amazing conceit, which is basically the stories are real. Holmes and Watson are real people. Uh, and Watson uh, either wrote or told Conan Doyle the stories. Uh, and then they mm-hmm. write, there's all these like academic level uh, essays that are kind of like, okay, you know, he clearly, ch- Watson changed the names here of these people who might they've really been. And they'll like research like deeds to lands and like to try to actually figure <laughs> out like, oh, there was a house near here that looked kind of like this uh and okay you know this this story was clearly written by watson this one conan doyle might have written it may be not be true because it doesn't make sense like the canon is full of all these and so do they it's believe a, that or is it just no kind no of a fun it's exercise? just kind of a fun yeah it's like it's like learn about let's learn about victorian history and let's also you know and and, and play with these characters and these ideas um and you know something like doctor who i think is kind of like can we can we actually fit all this together and and I mean, as well, I won't spoil it, but as we see in the current season with Jodie Whittaker, they basically rewrote the whole history of the series in sort of this one arc. Um, and and basically, and I can't say much more, but like basically, yeah, they, they sort of, and that's what they, it's kind of the cool thing about a series is they're just like, no, well, all right, um, now this happens instead. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't make any sense, but everybody's like, oh, who cares? If, I mean, you know, I think it comes from original, not having a, a very strict series Bible, right? Originally, they just kind of, right. there wasn't, it wasn't a lot spelled out. Uh, and then for the first 10, 15 years of the show, it's not like they were going back and watching a lot of, they weren't repeating it. There weren't videos, there weren't DVDs. It was broadcast once or twice, and somebody might vaguely remember what happened, but that was kind of it. Um, and so, yeah, they could just play with everything, and nothing was set in stone. So, um, yeah, traveling to the future is um, uh, it's um, you can pretty much do anything, <laughs> which which they do, which they do. John, let's talk about the third theme. This is the mm. third theme, the one that the third theme that happens after the first two. This is the one, two, three. The third mm. theme. Uh, John, tell me about the special effects. We've talked a little bit about this, but yeah. um, you mentioned, and I have to not say um, by the way, mm. you talked about the special effects that they were going for in the new series to say, hey, we're not going to quite do what came before. Right. We're going to push the effects forward. But, you know, also some of these episodes happened in different decades and were on live not live tv but nearly live you mentioned they were would film saturday and show it sunday in case in some cases so how what is the how do the special effects affect the show um throughout the years so they had um had no money like they especially the classic the new one still i think is um is is 
pretty they could probably get more budget. money but they yeah i mean they, they don't they do quite bad now obviously computers help a lot but they had no money in the original episodes um and you know they were trying to do uh, very ambitious stories um and um and they just kind of uh it's just, just i actually think it, i just think it benefits from not having great special effects, right? Is this, so this sort of there's option. There's option one: you have perfect special effects and everything's completely real or as real as you can be or whatever. And you know, it's like okay, fine. Um, and then there's kind of option two, which is you almost get to it, but yeah. they're just it's not quite right, and you'd be like, no, it didn't quite work or whatever. And then I think option three, which is kind of Doctor Who, which is like you kind of do your best and you imply like, Hey, this is what's going on. And everybody just kind of is like, okay, like, is <laughs> it great? It's one of, I, I'm trying to figure out where to put it. Cause it's a, it's a fantastic old song called Kinda. Uh, and it's a, it's a fifth doctor one. And it's set in a jungle on a jungle planet. And they built the jungle in the studio. And I don't know what the director was thinking, but they basically put a bunch of leaves on the studio floor, but you can still see floor like they're outside, <laughs> but you can see that it's a floor. <laughs> it's just a painted floor and the leaves kind of scatter and you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's considered one of the best episodes because it's very, very intellectual. It's, it's sort of all Buddhist mythology and stuff, but it, it's just kind of like, yeah, you guess you just like, okay, well, that's, that's all they could do. And they're in a jungle and we'll fill in the rest. Well, and that's just kind of how it works. And, and you know, there'd be other things where there'd be like, you know, you'd meet the resistance fighters on a planet and there'd be two people there in like these sort of duff costumes. And one of them go, what all 1000 of us. And they'd be like out there outside around the corner. That's <laughs> <laughs> just how you did it. <laughs> it remind it makes me think of, well, first of all, again, going back to kids watching it uh my daughter doesn't bat an eye at any of you know when the grub was crawling around in this episode she didn't turn around and be like that's ridiculous that that doesn't look like a grub like that's ridiculous uh stubs out her cigarette and walks out of the room (laughs) (laughs) but also i think it helps contribute to that tone we're talking about which is basically to say yeah if you're focused on that that's not what this is about don't come here for this if that's what you're yeah. and then it's a way of just exactly. constantly reminding you of that it's funny to mention something like that where you can see the four just be aware of the studio because it then also puts you in more of a theatrical you know when you're yeah. when you go to a, a live theater show they can only do so much to suspend your disbelief visually and so they really have to get you on mm-hmm. But they do want to suspend your disbelief. They do want to catch you in moments, and they have to do that completely through the writing and acting and connecting. Right, exactly. Yeah, so they worked hard on the story. And then I think and again, um, um, there's a great interview with Mark Hamill. Uh, I think he's on Jimmy Kimmel or something. I was one of his shows. Uh, and he was talking about making Star Wars, the first Star Wars. And um, uh, he was talking about how they were filming the scene where they just got out of the rubbish compactor. Uh, and he said they hadn't filmed that scene where they're in it yet, but they're out of it. And he's looking at the script and he's like, well, wait a second. Uh, shouldn't I, shouldn't we be covered in trash and my hair should be all wet. And, you know, we've just been in this thing. Uh, and he does, uh, if you've heard Mark Hamill's Harrison Ford impression, it's wonderful. Uh, but he just goes, Harrison turned to him and goes, Hey kid. It's not that kind of movie. <laughs> it's like if they're looking at your hair, we're in serious trouble. <laughs> it, is kind of, it is kind of true, right? And I think Doctor Who is similar. That's like it's not if you're looking at if, if you're hung up on the on the sort of is this effect real or not, um, then you're you're not watching the right thing, right? Like it, it is the story, and the story's right. Uh, um, and is an interesting thing. Um, 
an added layer for a lot of Doctor Who fans. So when I started watching Doctor Who in the 80s, um, it was before a lot of them were out on, on VCR, VHS tape, which I realize I'm saying that like people are going to know what that is. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it was a, the real to real Victrola. We had to wind it by hand to sure. watch the episodes. Um, and um, so a lot of Doctor Who I experienced for the first time by novel. So they, they novelize the stories. They would have writers come and they would write them. And of course, in your head, the special effects are quite good. Um, so there are, <laughs> it'd be terrible if they were, what a sad childhood if these special effects in your head were awful. It's just like, no, it doesn't look real. Uh, so, just have no budget. Uh, but so there are stories even now where, so the, the, the novelizations, of course, you know, they can describe anything they want. Sometimes they change or fixed plot mistakes or plot lines aren't quite exactly the same. They took some liberties with them or whatever. And there are stories now that I still think it's uh, that I love that look terrible, but it's because I read them first and in my mm. head, they were great. And so I, you know, and so again, I paper over some of those effects. I'm like, Oh yeah, but that the one in my head was way better. <laughs> so much better. Or the actor didn't say no, not the mind probe quite so badly or mm. whatever. Like, um, uh, and so, yeah, there's sort of a, it is the story, right. That, that carries you through. Um, but, you know, as again, as I said at the beginning, it's, it is, they were trying to show we can do special effects. We can keep up with modern sci-fi, which, of course, is ridiculous how much, how good it looks. John, we've survived flood, famine, and plague. We've survived cosmic, cosmic wars and holocausts. And now here we are, out among the stars, waiting to rank these two episodes amidst mm-hmm. all of the Doctor Who episodes ever created. But we haven't, it's not too bad, because right now we only have to rank them uh, among the two other episodes we've ranked. Right. So it's not too Are we bad. writing these down in the rankings, by the way? I am. I'm actually going to oh, show okay, you good. right, right now. It's, it's a little behind the scenes here. It's going to be sharing my screen oh. with you. Ooh, neat. That, those are the rankings. So, so neat, far we have uh, Rose uh, from 2005, number one, and, and An Unearthly Child from 1963, number two. Mm-hmm. So where, where would we put the end of the world and the ark in space in here? And by the way, I would just hear my opinion to color this is, I liked both of these. I'm surprised to hear that the Ark in Space was some people's favorite episode ever. So that's, but that's interesting. Mm. So where would you put these in your ranking? Mm, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I definitely think Ark in Space is, I mean, probably, probably at number one ahead of all of them at this point um, for me. Um, uh, end of the world, um, probably behind Rose. Um, it's a good episode. It's just not one I come back to very often. I don't know. What, what do you think? Is that, do you agree with these? I, I, I mean, I liked the Ark in Space, but to me, the Ark in Space I liked because, again, this was really my first time seeing Tom Baker, and I really liked it. Uh, but I didn't. The story didn't strike me as this incredible story. Like I said, it was just sort of the kind of classic thing of, oh yeah, distract the their bugs, distract the mm-hmm. bugs, get them over here. So and electrocute them. Yeah. And there wasn't a big philosophical thing there. There were a couple moments that were nice. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily put it that high. I would probably put it below both the modern episodes in some ways, mainly because I, I'm, I'm feeling like there'll be other Tom Baker episodes that I like more. Uh, okay. The end of the world, uh, I... I appreciate it by the end. I would probably put it. Hmm, I would probably put it above Rose, but I think I'm just finding that I didn't really like the mannequin hmm. story. I didn't really buy that. So I'd probably put uh, the end of the world 
first, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to agree. So now we disagree. We have two lists. Maybe we should have two lists. Should we have two lists? Well, now would Seems be the time like to decide that because we only have four on the list. <laughs> or, so. or we just keep uh, we just keep arguing until we figure it out. I mean, I just yeah. think, you know, I think this I think podcast we... does not end until we agree. <laughs> until we agree identically on a on a three hundred episode list. <laughs> so that's what we'll do. We'll have we'll have multiple lists. So we'll publish. I mean, what's going to be lists. great is when we get to later episodes when we've watched like a hundred of these and we have to go through each one well it's i liked this number 78 was nice but 77 i think i'm gonna put a little bit low this one <laughs> it's ludicrous and that's why we're gonna do it but okay. I, I think what we should probably do is mm-hmm. we'll we'll decide on our rankings coming into the the show and then yeah we don't have to figure it we don't have to this doesn't have this to be okay. like the constitutional convention where we're sort of horse trading <laughs> look how about i move unearthly child up for you but but i we got to get ark in space higher we don't need to do that so we'll have two different lists we'll get both of those up on the on the episode and if you have opinions on this please please let us know uh, about that so now that, the, that would be cool if someone on the internet had an opinion Great. <laughs> we, i'd be excited we, about we'll find them if there's anyone on the internet who has a strong opinion we'd love to we'd love to talk to you yeah. especially if you have a strong intransigent opinion that you're not just willing to give on at all we'd exactly find yeah. you. i would like to, i would like to meet that person because so many people just like oh i'm so open-minded and it's just annoying if people do want to reach out with their intransigent just idiotic opinions uh and give mm-hmm. us feedback they can go to mindprobe.show they can see the notes from our, our existing episodes and, and our complete rankings, which will say plural now, mm. and how they could send us a note, which we would, of mm. course, love to hear. And then, John, what do we have in store for next episode? Uh, next episode, we go into the past. Uh, so we have uh, from New Who, we have The Unquiet Dead. Uh, and we have paired that with a, a rich, uh, full-bodied uh, episode um, called The Curse of Fenric. Um, and both of them involve aliens uh, and our second Earth's past. So it's, and if, it's, if you've never seen the show or if you're like John rewatching these every night, as you, if it's the only way you can sleep now is to rewatch <laughs> episodes of Doctor Who, uh, please... Put these episodes on this week, so and then you can mm-hmm. listen in when we when we when the next episode comes right. out. You can't contribute, but you could yell at the at the. I don't, how do people listen to podcasts on their stereos? Is that on yes. the hi fi? Yes, on the hi fi. Your hi fi. We'd love for you to just oh. scream along to your hi fi with mm-hmm. us, mm-hmm. and then put on your eight tracks. Should we also rank each episode of this podcast? <laughs> Actually, I would put two over one, but that's where I am right now. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it seems to be on a downward slide, I'll be honest. <laughs> you see, <laughs> you have so two wild. points of data and one is lower. And so that's... Fair yeah, I mean, we better arrest this slide or we're going to get canceled. It dawned on me today. I was like, oh, we'll be doing this podcast as we begin to get social security checks because we'll yeah. be- <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, as I was going through the list, I was like, there are a lot of episodes. Like, I feel like we've committed ourselves to a lot. I mean, that's you funny. know, we'll we'll like we'll it. just quietly give up one day. We'll just stop meeting. Well, <laughs> I think it's saying. helped yeah. that you're doing the mm. stories. So then that'll, I mean... Mm. Rather than, for example, if we were just doing one episode at a time, <laughs> uh, if, if we had four episodes for Ark, Ark in Space, yeah. for example, that would be pretty tough. Yeah, there'd be a lot of detail. Are you, are, do you like it? Are you liking what you're seeing? So I am. Really I told like, you, I God. really genuinely, I just like the vibe of it. I re- that's my mm-hmm. feeling as I begin to watch actually the end of the world is I just thought, 
oh this is i this is what i like <laughs> mm-hmm. this is nice they're they're just they're not it's not like i said it's just not weighted down in the same way uh, at the same time it has other elements i like of they're in space and they're moving around yeah. and they're these things like this and yet it it just doesn't oppress you with that and i think the tone the tone is really great uh and and i really do envision i'm gonna have i'm actually gonna i think in terms of fitting this into my schedule have nelly watch more of them with me Mm. because the more i think about it there'll be some stuff that she'll i don't know have questions about or whatever but in general i think she'll be into it and the fact that she sat through them and was interested in them i was like good enough she's already told when we were getting we i watched we watched two or one or two of the ark in space episodes and then uh went somewhere to meet our, our brother-in-law and then came back and when she came back she she was telling kim oh well i'm gonna go watch the the more of that what was it the doctor show daddy i'm gonna watch more of that with daddy i was like okay well, I guess mm-hmm. you will. Then she then fell asleep. So, like you said, yeah. she's a Doctor Who fan. She fell asleep to the episode. <laughs> it's very comforting. <laughs> a just, true fan. Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> John, my felicitations upon this historical happenstance. I bring you the gift of bodily salivas. Please stop mailing me bodily salivas. That is. I'll stop when you acknowledge <laughs> that it is a sweet thing to do. It's not funny. Stop. It's not supposed to be funny. It's not funny. I don't think... Do you think that's funny? Yeah, right. right. When you're like, well, let me tell you about, you know, Tom Baker's background before he became an actor. That's not funny. Why are we talking about that? I don't think that's funny. Do you think that's funny? Hey, would we ever have guests on the podcast? Yeah, who, who could we have? We should just have terrible guests. Um, or people who don't realize this is a Doctor Who podcast. Like This is Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who is uh, obviously very well known. He's just out there trying <laughs> to get the word out anyway he can. <laughs> could we get Emma Thompson? Because she's, she's nuts. Or Judy Dench. We should get Judy Dench. Do you know her? <laughs> yeah, I'll effort that this week. I don't know her, but I've seen a lot of movies with her and I don't fully understand how movies work, but I think that I think I can like reach out to her right. some way through yeah, the if movies. You email her at, at Judy Dench at Look, movie. I paid fourteen ninety nine for some of these movies. <laughs>